He's a retired corrections officer working death row at three maximum security prisons. He developed post-traumatic stress, drug and alcohol problems too, and a dog, a dog that was shot by police, wound up saving his life. He's here to tell a story on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Calling us from Pennsylvania, we have retired corrections officer Charlie Schifarelli and was a corrections officer in, was it Nebraska? Nebraska. Nebraska. Originally from New Jersey, uh, New York originally. Originally from New York. Uh, born and raised in uh Originally New York City, then we moved out to Long Island. I can understand Long Island from New York City, but Nebraska, I mean, that's like a different world, isn't it? It really is. It's a completely different world. Uh, It's so neutral. It's so unopinionated. It's so nice, and it's like old school Long Island would have been back in the 60s. Oh, my goodness, yeah. That's even before my time. I used to go visit family members up there. My, my grandparents immigrated from Ireland, and their extended families settled in Long Island, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, northern Jersey. So it, when I was a kid, it was different than it was recently or even 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And I got before we get into your story, I got to tell people, I remember visiting New York City as a kid, and we didn't go anywhere near Times Square or the subways because it was so brutal and so violent. And I just have a big concern we are returning to those days again. I hope we don't. I hope we don't. We've made so much progress away from that. And, you know, we're in a modern society today. I mean, we we really do need to get along and, and respect each other and respect the laws. Yeah, I just, I, I don't get it, Charlie. I mean, be honest with you, that would be a conversation for about 15 radio shows. People that were born and raised in New York, I know they don't want to see a return to the bad old days. It took a lot of effort, a lot of lives, a lot of people getting injured to get to the point where it was a decent place. Uh, and it's never been trouble-free because it's so big, but it's just a, a far cry from what it could be. Charlie, let's go to your career. How did you wind up going into corrections? It's real simple. Uh, I had a I had a childhood dream of becoming a, a New York City police officer as a kid growing up in uh, New York. Um, <clears throat> I was early on attracted to shows like uh, Columbo, Serpico, um, even Beretta, and it was my dream to do that. And uh, I went ahead and 
when I was finishing my 12th year in high school, I took the New York City exam. I think it was 1175 back then. I scored well on it. I got into band number one, went in for the physical. I remembered like as yesterday, pulling the big dummy around the obstacle course and then the medical. Um, but I got uh, dissuaded. I didn't uh, continue on with my dream. I had a father that was really not pro-police, and uh, he had a background that wasn't pretty, and uh, I walked away from the possibility with that. Gotcha. I understand fully. Here's another big misconception a lot of people have, that policing and, let's just say, people who live a, a different lifestyle, sometimes illegal, it's two sides of the same fence, and it's a very fine line between the two. Very. It's, it's such a fine line, and I would learn that later on in my career in corrections, how thin of a line it is. Well, before we, one of us. before we get into your career in corrections, i got to tell you this. Thank you so much for your service. Corrections is something I couldn't do. Uh, I'll be honest with you. The noise alone would drive me nuts. The amount of violence that you all are subjected to, there's no escaping it. You're there eight, ten hours a day, and you can't get away from it. Boy, you know what? I hate... Look, we are the unsung heroes in corrections. My brothers and sisters that do this line of work, not only is it eight hours and is it noisy, but it's never just ten hours. It's always a double shift. And, you know, you're dealing with people that have all been convicted. Uh, lots of them will tell you they're not guilty, but they've been convicted. At least with law enforcement on the street, I mean, that isn't the norm. You're dealing with a lot of citizens and some criminals. Oh, exactly. Most of the people I dealt with on a daily basis were not criminals. And even the criminals, a small percent were violent, a very, very small percentage. Most of them were not a big deal. Yes, I can understand. And uh, working corrections is uh, is a line of work all on its own. And correctional officers, at some point, in order to do this, I remember going through the academy. I, the instructors were saying, "Look around before the six months is up. More than half of you will be gone." And after the first year in corrections, the numbers get dwindle. It's it's not a job for everybody. I think it's a job for a very small percentage. And the people that do that, to be totally honest with you, they have to be very dedicated to the craft. And I don't know if they're born special or they become special. They develop the skill set to do that job and do it well. What is your opinion on that? My opinion on that is exactly that. They have a skill set and they're able to do the time. They have to be able to do the time. They cannot let that clock work against them. And they've got to be focused that the outside world does not exist, that their only purview of existence is right here, where they are, where their feet are. Now, the public doesn't realize correctional officers can't bring their iPhones in. They can't listen to radios. They can't be in the towers listening to radios and reading books. Not that law enforcement does that, but there is no distractions. You're doing the time with the inmates. There's so much about Hollywood that gets policing wrong that I mean they're way off base on on 90% of what's put out there however I think the only group that gets a worse rap are corrections officers and, and they portray corrections officers as being all corrupt all stupid and it's the only job they could get and that's the farthest thing from the truth you know right off the bat the media and the movies calls correctional officers guards 
you know, we're not guards. I mean, it's an insult. I mean, not, not taking anything away from a crossing guard, but we're not guards. We're not lifeguards. Uh, we are there to perform the internal duties of police officers. We are the police inside of an institution. We have a court system inside the institution. We have a jail which is inside the institution. A penitentiary is developed with walls and a community away from the community in which law-abiding citizens reside, but a facility that is one within itself as a community. And we are the police. I always say this, and I really want to get your input on this. Of the inmate population, for lack of better words, the vast majority are people who had one or two, three bad incidents in their life. I, I say 10 bad minutes in their life. The, a big proportion of them wouldn't be in there if it wasn't for alcohol and drugs. And then you have a very small percentage that are violent career criminals. Is that correct? That would be a correct statement. You take drugs and alcohol away. You take away people that made one stupid move uh, and got behind the wheel of a vehicle and killed somebody, uh, which is terrible. Uh, you take that away, and then you get just your smaller percentage of those that were career criminals. Absolutely true. And those are the ones that can really mess up your day, mess up your life, can maim you, can kill you, uh, and they all, quite often are lifers and they have nothing to lose. So why not attack a, a corrections officer or some other support staff? This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We are talking with Charlie Charlie Cifarelli. Cifarelli. I'm going to butcher that, and I'm going to get it eventually. By the time the interview is done, we have so much more to talk about. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today Show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way, feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. Turn a conversation with Charlie Schifarelli. Did I get it right this time, Charlie? You got it right. Oh, my goodness. I want to give myself a little gold star. Charlie is a retired corrections officer, and he is... Man, he's got a life well-lived, lots of experiences, and you've got to hear the story about Star the Dog. We will talk about that later on the show. I'm a big dog person, and I cannot wait to hear the details of this, and I'm going to do my best not to tear up when you tell a story about Star the Dog and what Star does for you. I want to go back to your, you were in New York, born and raised, went to Long Island, and you wound up in Nebraska working in corrections. I did. And I, green, I, I just don't, maximum security prisons there. I, I just can't see that. I, I that kind of contradicts everything you would see in Hollywood in the movies about corrections officers. You're in maximum security prisons, and this is by choice. This is by choice, and uh, you know my story, like a lot of stories in life, I, I have to look at the levity of stuff. You know, if I think my life is a comedy, and if I feel, I cry sometimes. So. You know, I was going to become a New York City police officer. It didn't happen for me. Um, but I met a girl in Long Island that was from, her family was from Nebraska. And, you know, 
leave it to a girl to lead a guy to Alaska, to Nebraska, to Kansas from, you know, from New York. And I followed her out there. And uh, now it makes sense. That makes sense. We, we, we had a relationship. And when I was in New York, I was um, working uh, for a local. I was doing building demolition. And uh, there's not a lot of that going out in the Husker State, Nebraska. They're doing the opposite. They're not knocking stuff down. They're building stuff. And it's a very modern, very beautiful state. And it's uh, where one of my heroes comes from, Johnny Carson. And if you're a football uh, fan, college football, the Huskers. So I wound up in the middle of the country with my new relationship and needing a job. And, um, you know, I'm thinking farming. I'm thinking maybe take the Series 6, Series 7 test. Uh my future father-in-law has a different idea. He says, look, he says, uh, you wanted to become a cop in New York. Uh, why don't you take the corrections exam out here and until something else opens up, see if you get on with the Department of Corrections. So that's how it started. And how many years did you do? Were you waiting for something I, else I to did come half, along? I did half of what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to do 20. I did 10. Uh, I did a run on death row. And um, after that... Um, and after having rose up through the ranks in three institutions, had the, all the keys to the Department of Corrections Penitentiary, I was their uh, safety director. I decided to uh, to leave to go on to uh, a business pursuit. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't blame you. Uh, the stress level must have been off the chain. <laughs> I, I, listen, I couldn't get institutionalized. And I, to my big kudos to my brothers and sisters. And either to, to do this job, you've got to do the time. And my mind was always flickering as to, I got one life, this is the core earning years, do I want to retire and hang up my uniform another 10 years from now, or do I want to leave? So I eventually wound up leaving, starting a trash business, having great success. But I don't want to leave out the part of the story that the Department of Corrections did everything it needed to do for a guy that needed focus, a guy that had a crazy background in New York before I became a correctional officer. And let me see in a New York second that bad thinking, a bad thought, drugs and alcohol, getting behind the wheel of a vehicle, using anger to settle a problem could all put me behind bars like these inmates that I was paid to watch every day. That's what exactly I was talking about. Uh, five, ten minutes uh, of a person's life and make a bad decision. I met so many people. I had to arrest people that did lots of time for murder because they got they lost their head and they got in a fight. And they were never in trouble a day in their life. No, and I understand that. I understand that so many people get together through the holidays. Uh, families, members haven't seen each other. Alcohol gets involved. A fight between brother, two brothers winds up with a manslaughter charge. You know, you have all different stories in the Department of Corrections, and uh, everything I ever wanted to learn about life, I learned behind the bars of corrections because we had every type of walk of life that is locked up. When I see certain television series, the one that comes to mind is Oz, and I really didn't watch a whole lot of it, to be honest with you. All the bits I saw, I, I didn't, and I think the other one was Orange is the New Black. I didn't care for either one of them. Uh, longest Mile, look, I can see some of what was going on there, but not all of it. How how off is Hollywood's perception of life behind bars? It's off because Hollywood's got to dramatize everything. A lot of correctional work goes long periods of time with no action, 
no difficulties, where stuff is run like the clock, doors open, doors closed, chow time. But then it's that 10%, they're all bricks loose. It's that other part of corrections that they don't put in the movies, and nobody talks about it. You put guys in solitary confinement. They've got nothing to lose. They take their body excrement, and they throw it on staff. It's called gassing. And we never talk about this in the media. Nothing's ever talked about this. And that's some really, really bad stuff to have to another human being. You know, we don't talk about the moments of watching a death row inmate day in and day out. And you even feel your own mortality as the clock is ticking towards their death sentence being carried out. We had the electric chair when I was working there. And you start to ponder and start to say, okay, this inmate has got the death sentence. But then we know inmates that killed two or three people, and they didn't get the death sentence. And, you know, is, 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 is justice always carried out fairly? That's why the scales of justice have a lady that's blindfolded and deaf. We hope it does. But, you know, you, 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 you're a thinking person. You've got time to think, and you ponder. So the movies don't get that part right. They don't get the, the dehumanization of what happens to staff when they're thrown feces on them. And that will never be put in the movies because, you know, it might make people really start to feel or think about their own humanness and what human beings can turn into left to their own behaviors that they get so far away from humanness that that stuff happens. And you have to... Contain yourself. You have to find a way to make it through those horrible incidents and not put hands on people, which is a, a very, very difficult, unique challenge. I got to tell you something. Remember this, folks. In the Department of Corrections, there are guns in the towers, but there are no guns in the tiers. There are no guns working with these guys. We got to use our hands for use of force. We've got to use our verbal skills. We've got to use officer presence as our first line. But remember that use of force is not used in 99% of the incidences. And I got to say fairly, it's used when necessary. And I got to tell you, you don't hear about us going overboard and using too much force. We're, we're very well-trained, very well indoctrinated of our use of force policies and we do the best we can every day what we got to use as skills we're talking with charlie schifarelli he is a retired corrections officer uh did maximum security prison work for many years when we return to our conversation with charlie we're going to talk about the reality of what this job does the reality of what he saw while he's there and then we'll talk about star the dog this is the law enforcement show don't go anywhere we will be right back are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts head to letradioshow.com click be heard and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one also available on our free app all at letradioshow.com ever miss an episode of the law enforcement today radio show Never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. 
We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Charlie Schifarelli on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Charlie is a retired corrections officer. He worked at three, I believe, maximum security prisons in Nebraska. And he also has a great story about Star the Dog, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I want to get back to your, your experience as a corrections officer, Charlie. And I understand fully leaving and going to do something else, wanting to do something different, make something of your life. There had to come a point where you're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It, it gets to that point, Jay. And what you start to realize is you see new correctional officers come on board. I remember guys that would come from the Army or the Marines, and they would go through the academy, and they had such a nice, clean-cut look about them. And they had bright eyes. And, you know, when they're probably 22 years old, uh, they had left the military, and they're going to give a shot at corrections. And I remember within six months to a year, they had that thousand-yard stare in their eyes. They would look different. They would see stuff. In corrections, you see stuff that you just don't see in Anywhere else but corrections, you see people living with people. You have to witness some very intimate moments that you're not supposed to see. (laughs) You see the results of violence up close. You see what happens when people do suicide to themselves. You see when an inmate gets cut in the gut and his insides come out. Matter of fact, there was an escape attempt in the penitentiary before I left and I walked into the chapel and an inmate, oh, Ben West, I won't forget his name, he, uh, a career criminal, had cut his guts and they were hanging. And uh, they wound up, this inmate wound up getting over a 40 foot wall. He wound up being able to scale uh, with taking doors from the chapel and putting them together. It was a crazy escape attempt and wound up getting into the parking lot of the penitentiary, and uh, not only was I at the chapel, but I made it outside to greet him on the outside, too, when we were putting flex cups on him. So I've seen a lot of stuff that I will never be able to change the channel in my head. And what is the biggest part that happens that all these years later, in all nice living, comfortable life, I always reflect back to the penitentiary. I hung up my uniform, turned in my keys, gave up my badge. I lost the routine of the Department of Corrections showing up at a certain time every day for roll call, being at a certain spot, having all the camaraderie of my coworkers. Then that stopped. And you get back to the real world where there are no time clocks on you. Correctional officers can't be late. I know you can't be late to work a lot of places, but you can't be late. And you've got to show up, and you've got routine. Everything has to be done the same way every day. Those inmates will watch you. Staff watches you. You can't put your drinking cup down because it could get poisoned. Uh, little something that the, the public doesn't know. There's no cleaner place to live than the penitentiary kitchens. You have more eyes on that food than you'll ever have anywhere. You've got the inmates watching each other. You've got the staff watching the inmates. And the kitchens are clean. Food is put out the same way every day. 
but I'll never forget how lost I felt when I left after 10 years and I was free to pursue my business, but that routine was gone. This many years later, I still think about it. You know, I don't tell this to a lot of people, Jay, but uh, I attempted to work in 2018 to go back to corrections. I uh, went through an academy for a local jail. I just couldn't do it. It wasn't in me no more. I get it. And, uh, it it's got to be, it be a young person's game. Uh, a certain age, look, police work, I couldn't do patrol anymore. And this age, I wouldn't. My mind says, yes, go do it. My body says absolutely not. You're, you're, you're paying a price now. Uh, one of the things that I thought of when you were talking about the routine, I've met so many men that did a long stretch in prisons, and they were trying to get their lives on a different track. And they were almost to a person institutionalized, and they had to develop a mindset where they did things on their own and it was difficult and it almost sounds like as a correction officer you had the same problem i i can't say that enough you, you i want to shout out to the people that can't believe these guys get locked up again i'm going to tell you and i think that none of my correctional officer staff would disagree with me you get into such a routine your world is behind those walls what's outside those walls is almost foreign you get institutionalized to a large degree. The inmates that don't have a lot of skills, don't have a retirement, don't have opportunity, they hit the streets again. My goodness, if they didn't deal with their drug addiction and work through recovery, or they didn't find a skill, it's only a matter of time where the inside world is more attractive than the outside world of instability. In a weird way, I get it. I, I don't understand it from going through it because I've never been there, but I can understand this is where I knew my role. This is where I belong. This is where I fit in. This is where I know what to do, A, B, C, D at this time. Get out in the real world where you have lots of choices, and a lot of these people are on parole, and I'm not I'm not making excuses, but a lot of people are on parole, and they're making a conscious decision, I want to get locked up again. They do. They do. So the good news is this. The good news is this. There is a transition. And I believe this when I was working corrections. I believe that these guys need another opportunity that employers like my future self, when I left corrections, started the business, hired these guys. They need somebody to take a chance with them. I was willing to take a chance. They're actually great workers. Um, but just like anything else, you have to have ability to cater to them a little bit. And, uh, and catering is the wrong word, but you have to be knowledgeable that they, if they're recovering from drugs and alcohol, they may le- need to leave early certain days to go to a meeting. They may need to do some service work. They may need to do other things, but you wind up with a wonderful worker. And they have every ability to make the change if they decide, but they need a skill set, they need a little help on the outside, and they need someone to give them that second chance. And I was willing to do that when I started the trash business. Kudos to you. Would you be willing to say that that might be the same situation for corrections officers? I think very much so. I think a correctional officer has a skill set of running a penitentiary. And at the end, I had only one person to answer to, which was the warden. Um, I still needed a new skill set to go out to the world because the skill set I learned with the Department of Corrections um, is not what you use every day for uh, private business. Uh, Yes, the time management and working towards 
deadlines is, but it's a completely different line of work. I find myself, Charlie, I don't know if you can relate to this, and I've been retired from police work a long time, very, very long time. And I work in radio, and sometimes my radio bosses say, hey, look, I hate to put any stress on you. I'm thinking, and I tell them, this is not stressful. This is radio. This is okay. It's it, No one's living or dying, any of that stuff. But sometimes I find myself saying, if they really knew who I was and some of the things I've been through, would they be this pleasant to me? I understand. I understand. Well, here it is. Here it is. I'm, I'm proud to say it. I'm in recovery off of drugs for 30-plus uh, years. Um, and I'm sober, uh, working on my 24th year of complete sobriety from alcohol. So I, I understand. I, I, I don't have a past that was pretty, um, you know, and luckily, by the grace of God, I didn't wind up with a prison record that would stop me from pursuing uh, a level of law enforcement. I'm, I'm very proud of you for, for saying that. Uh, we will turn. We will talk about that because that's, that's a long conversation. But there's also a point in your life where you must have said to yourself, and I hate to use this term, you hit some sort of bottom. You're like, I've got to find a way to do a different kind of life. How difficult was that decision for you? You know, it is difficult because when I was hurting in my resignation papers, the warden who was my supervisor said to me, Ciparelli, I'll never forget this. We're coming into winter. You've worked so hard. You've been through so much. You've been on a cert team. Death row, three institutions. You've worked with the kids. You've been a caseworker. You've come up the ranks. Why would you leave now? You got a promising career, and that is very, very. We're going to turn that conversation in just a few moments. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. I promise you. There's so much more of this conversation you don't want to miss. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore. Because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. conversation with Charlie Schifferelli on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Charlie is a retired corrections officer. He is also an author. I forgot to mention this earlier, author of children's book, I Am a Star. And he's got another book coming out in a few moments. We will talk about that in just a bit. Before we went to break, Charlie, I had to cut you off. We were out of time. You hit on two things that are so important. And by the way, it's such a widespread problem for so many people and so many families Drugs and alcohol, drug and alcohol abuse, drug and alcohol addiction, whatever terms people want to use. I don't know if families not affected by this. You made a decision some 24 plus years ago, I'm going to get clean and sober, and you've been clean and sober ever since. I am. I am. And for me, it's been a process, and I hopefully others can do it easier. Um, the first big thing was I gave up drugs 30 years ago, um, and that meant no pharmaceuticals that meant nothing nothing i had back problems nothing and then i went to work for the department of corrections and let me tell you when you get off the shift uh having a vodka and a gin made life a little easier but on april 6th of 1998 i woke up sober that morning and i remained that way and i'm that way ever since 
Uh, it's the only way I know how to live now, and it's been the best decision I ever made. I hear you. So, that's where I am today. By the way, for those who don't know, I, I've been sober almost 30 years now, and uh, it was a difficult transition, and it was the most important decision I've ever made in my life. And for anybody out there who has a loved one who's struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, don't give up on them. If they're breathing in and out, there's still hope. There's still hope. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yes. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of people that develop these problems wind up being incarcerated. And I know you had to deal with them, and you also had to deal a lot with death row and violent criminals. Did there come a point in your life, Charlie, where you said where, where this just became I, I, overword term the, the post traumatic stress or post traumatic stress disorder? And I hate the term disorder part of it, but the, the PTS did it get to a point where you said that that's it? I, I'm really yeah. done. Yes, yes, yes. I, I had enough, man. I mean, I, I'm a human being, not a human doing. At some point, I had to look at the care labels of my uniform that said they had to be cared for a certain way and realized I wasn't caring for myself. And luckily, God, I believe in God, Jesus Christ, the higher power. Um, I, I left the trash business, and the Omaha World Herald put me and this dog I'm going to talk about now on the front page where I rescued her. New York City dog, shot in face finds a loving home in Lincoln, Nebraska. What had happened was I prayed in my life for some type of miracle, and it happened. I wound up with a dog that was shot on April 13, 2012, by the New York City police. Her owner was a drug addict, alcoholic that went into a seizure. I was living in Nebraska. I was sitting at my desk. I always watched and read the news from New York, because I still was a New York guy inside. And I read this horrible story. The headlines was police shoot and kill uh, dog lunging at people after homeless owner passes out from seizure. And um, I inquired about the dog, and the dog made a lightning speed recovery. It didn't die. The headlines had to go and be changed. And I made it my life and my pursuit to save this dog and to give it a life. And it's a long story. You could read about it all over the internet. Nebraska man adopts dogs shot by NYPD. Nebraska man believes in miracles. Dog shot makes miraculous recovery. PIX News in New York City made it their top story back then. They did two years, uh, 2014. They talked about it two years after she's been shot. She's in Wikipedia, star of the dog. She's been covered by People Magazine. It's a worldwide story. I believe that this dog lived. And this guy who didn't believe in much, and let me tell you, you don't believe in a lot to start up with. You had a tough childhood. Once you've been lied to enough times behind the bars with inmates, you don't believe, you believe only what you could see. The fact that I believe this dog lived was incredible. So the dog lived, and my life changed because of this dog. We went to Alzheimer's walks. We went to cancer walks. We wound up doing incredible things. She lived with me for eight and a half years until she just passed away earlier this year from cancer. Mm. But her story has been chronicled in a book. Uh, that'll be released soon, 14th and 2nd, and the impact this dog had on my life. The people love this dog so much. Even the police write about this dog in their newsletters. Um, here we are talking about this dog. Um, the dog proved to me that no matter what happens to you in life, she was an abused puppy from the Bronx that was 
adopted, then adopted by a homeless guy, lived outside, then was shot in the head by the New York City police. And we don't blame the police. The guy was didn't have her on a leash. It was a bad situation. But the best possible outcome happened because she lived. We started the nonprofit rescue, the Star Project, rescued hundreds of dogs that wound up in law enforcement families. One of our first dogs that was rescued was a Lincoln police officer rescued a dog that we had got from a shelter that was going to be euthanized. So good stuff happened. Uh, Jen, my significant other, wrote a book uh, based on Star's life and her look and her difficulties. I'm a star available on Amazon. And such wonderful stuff happened that changed my life and got rid of all the stresses that I had that were magnified by a tough childhood, the streets of New York, the Department of Corrections. Let's face it, the Omaha World Herald got it right. Charlie Cifarelli didn't have an easy life. He was worked around inmates, and then he worked around trash. And the trash business is also difficult. So this dog gave me a new lease on life, along with my sobriety, and has given me a reason to get out of bed every day to carry on her legacy and to do something that doesn't focus on the trauma that I had in my life or what I saw. So, Jay, it's been wonderful to be able to talk about this stuff. And I'm I, I, I think it's phenomenal you're talking about it. And I'll be honest with you, I, my hat's off to you because you didn't get emotional or shed a tear when you talked about it. I, my dogs, I have Rottweilers. I've had Rottweilers forever. And my dog, Doc, I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, no one knows me like that dog. And we don't have to talk. We don't. I can go hours and hours and not talk to anybody. My wife will tell you, for someone who talks on the radio all day long, you're pretty quiet. <laughs> but the dog knows right away. And they, they do something for you. I don't know how to describe it, but I think you get it. I get it, Jay. And let me tell you, cry. Let me tell you, I didn't talk to anybody for six, seven months after Star died. It wasn't for a fellow person in law enforcement that got me to go to a New Jersey uh, mental health retreat for law enforcement that I connected with other guys and girls that I unpacked the pain I was in from this, and I got a brotherhood immediately reconnected. And I'm here today talking to you based on Perfect. some of the things I did after talking about what happened after Star the Dog had died. So it's we've got one book out. It's a children's book called I Am a Star. Uh, where can people get that book? They can get it on uh, Amazon. I'm a star uh, book. Uh, they can go to the star's website, www.imastarbook.com. And you have and another book coming out soon, too? wonderful message. Do you have another book coming out soon? Yes, it's already out. What's that called? Uh, my no, my book. We're talking about my book is Fourteenth and Second. It chronicles my life before recovery, my life in corrections, my life with Star, and looking forward. And to anybody suffering from alcoholism, a drug addiction, a gambling, or overeating, because I didn't mention it, I'm back to my high school weight. I put I put down food also. Oh man, you're killing me here. I you gotta talk. I weighed myself today, Charlie. You're killing me. The I one know. thing I have left in life. Look, I tell people I'm I'm a boring guy. I'm in bed what? like at ten o'clock at night. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I try not to curse. The only pleasure I've left in my life is food, and you just ruin that too. Uh, well, I, I did it. But listen, here's the thing: 14th and 2nd. It's a book that could change lives. 
it's it's my story, and it's a story that we can all benefit from if we know someone that's suffering or we know someone that even wants to put down food. It's a way to live this life that doesn't come with instructions. Perfect. An easy way. And where can people find more information about you? Is there a way to contact you online? They can contact me online um, on Star's Facebook page, uh, Star, the New York Pitbull. They can message me. Uh, I do daily updates there. They can find me on Facebook, Charlie Ciparelli. Uh, there's not many of me. Um, and my email is charlie at the star project.org. Charlie, thanks so much for your service, and thanks so much for telling your story. All very much appreciated. Thank you, Jay. Have a great day. Thank you, everybody. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.